Tonight, what I want to share with you is this, and, and so this is the, I guess you can call it the title, but, and it's really kind of the, just something that, and I'll kind of, we'll, we're going to look at one specific um, instance throughout Scripture, but it's about being a person of prayer. You know, I've heard people say, well, I'm just not a prayer person. Well, let me say it like this. Well, you know, we can say, well, you know, that's just not my gift, but yet we're all called to pray. Amen. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about a gift of giving, but that doesn't absolve the rest of everybody else from giving, right? Why? Because we're supposed to all give. We're all supposed to be tithers. We're all supposed to be generous. And so, you know, there are people that are just, they have a specific gifting to pray. Um, you know, and there is something, and that is a gift of God. Yes, and, and there's an, and when you understand it, but it doesn't absolve the rest of us and just say, well, we're going to let the prayers pray. <laughs> That's not the way that God works. And especially when it comes to your personal life. Um, you know, I, I mean, you know, I would consider my mom to be a person that has a gift of prayer. You know, even my friends growing up would make kind of comments about it and say, if you need something, just have Miss Sue pray for it because God listens to her. And, uh, you know, and, and just, she's just someone who's, you know, that's just, she's a prayer. And, uh, you know, and, and that's really just something that God has uh, really developed in her life. You know, and so a lot of what I even understand about prayer has been by being with my mom, watching my mom, praying with my mom, you know. But I also believe that, um, you know, but there's also been lots of time. Uh, really kind of my first um, ministry position, if you will, was when I was a teenager and I led teen prayer meetings. We prayed every week for two hours. Pray for an hour one day and an hour another day. And I was 17 and that was kind of my first kind of lead this thing. And I led prayer. And so I did that for years. And so a lot of even what uh, I believe that I've been able to experience much of it, I take back to those years of prayer those years of preparation, those years of not just study, although there was studying happening, but there were years sown to the Spirit that I have not just seen in my life, but I've got to see the effects in other people's lives as well. And it all starts from that place of prayer. And so, you know, really, and there's a difference between someone who prays and someone who is a person of prayer. And I'm going to give you this is just I didn't get this from anybody else it's just the way that I would say this is is the difference is between somebody who prays and a person of prayer is the priority of prayer it's let me and let me give you an example is prayer a last resort or is it a first step because it's it's placing a priority on where your focus and where your help comes from and that's the difference between someone who just sometimes casually prays or when things get bad enough they pray but yet as believers we're called to actually pray first you know and i really want and you're going to hear that phrase probably more and more and more is to pray first pray first pray first when you get a bill and you ain't got the money do you start stressing out about it or you do do you pray first Do you start trying to figure out how am I going to pay for this or do you pray first? Do you stand upon what the word of God says and where the Bible says, no, I know that, you know, I may not have the resources that I need in this moment. But the Bible says that my God supplies all of my needs. So I have a need and I thank you, God, that you're going to supply this. I don't know how. I don't know necessarily when. I don't have to know all those things. But I do know that my trust is not in my bank account. It's not about numbers on a screen or numbers in a checkbook. My confidence is in the Lord and in his ability to work on my behalf. You know, and so, um, you know, there's a lot of things. And and 
so many times I think just because, I, I almost more think it's just a stereotype because I've only met a few people that were just, you know, where they're like, oh, well, they're a prayer and they're weird. But yet prayers kind of get the same, you know, like you hear somebody say that about somebody like, oh, that person's a prayer. Well, they're, you know, it's kind of like a prophet. They're just automatically weird. But, you know, the majority of people that I would consider that really have a, even a gift of prayer, they're just normal folks. But they, they're, but they do have a gifting in their life. Well, you know, I mean, even for us, I mean, for some of you, I believe that there probably is a gifting in you for prayer and you don't even recognize it. You don't even realize that. But again, just because that may not be our dominant gifting in our life doesn't mean that we still shouldn't be people of prayer. And it's about focusing and really, and really making that a priority. I mean, when we have problems in our marriage, do we pray together first or do we argue first? I mean, I believe that if you're in a lot of arguments, if you would just pray together, like, hey, before we start arguing, we're going to pray together. A lot of arguments would kind of take care of themselves because the Holy Spirit's probably going to knock maybe both of you in the heads and say, this is foolish, right? And, and what, why is that? It's because you're creating that, kind of what I've said about in different ways, but about creating space and inviting God into that moment. You're dealing with a problem with a child and you don't know what to do about it. Pray first. Ask the Lord. Seek wisdom first. Don't go to all these other resources. Don't go talk to everybody. You don't need everybody's opinion. What you need is the wisdom of God. And you find that in the place of prayer. Yes, it comes through His Word, but it also becomes revealed by the Holy Spirit through prayer. And so when we will live a life that's really focused in this way, I believe that we can really, um, let me say it this way. Let me kind of give you a, an example. We all have things, you know, like there's a commercial offering it's for some insurance uh, company. And uh, golly, oh, um, shoot, I just had it. What are they? No, it's the guy and he's the Allstate. What does he call himself? Mayhem. Mayhem. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. So y'all know the commercials. I mean, they're funny and, you know, mayhem happens. But, you know, there's a difference between life happening and living in a state of chaos all the time. Because what happens, and I'm just going to be honest with you and kind of maybe a little real and raw on this. We all have seasons of time that things aren't going the way that they should but that season should not be years. Because there are, there's a, you know, there are causes for things. I mean, just practically speaking, if you are all, like if you for years and years and years have not figured out your budget, you may be praying for God's prosperity, but it's not coming. Why? Because you never think twice about, do I have money for this? Should I spend money on this? You know, sometimes you got to tell yourself no, which none of us like to do. None of us like to say, no, you can't have that. But at some point, if you really want to experience the blessings of God, because what happens is we'll spend money before we can be generous. And then what does that do? That will hinder the blessings of God in our life. And so you've got to ask the Lord, you know, and and to be disciplined in some areas. And it does take some time. But you may be in that place for a long season or seemingly forever. Well, I would encourage you, get in the place of prayer. Why? Because what happens is many times we just keep praying, asking for God, asking for God to kind of settle the chaos, make mayhem run away, right? And yet we might be the contributor to the mayhem. 
And the Lord needs to speak to us. And as opposed to just using prayer as kind of a, well, I'm just going to cast my care on the Lord. Like it's his problem. It's not my problem. Well, if you're the problem, you can't pray you away. Right? And look, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not trying to be accusatory. It's just a fact, though. Prayer is not like a coverall that just says, well, the Lord's going to fix everything. Well, maybe the Lord needs to fix us. And many times the Lord needs to fix us. Now I'm going to step into something here, but I'm just going to step here and then walk away. You might have a money problem because you have a spending problem because your heart is not satisfied, which has nothing to do with the spending, which has nothing to do with the money. It's a heart issue that you are not happy and content in yourself, and therefore you look to something to feel that. So the Lord does it to, so for the Lord to fix the money issue, which is the spending issue, He has to first fix your heart, right? Well, that happens many times that I've experienced in that place of prayer. That, that there's a contentment that will come. It doesn't mean that stuff may not still happen around me, but that chaos doesn't have to set up residence in my heart. And, the, and what prayer does is it will constantly, when you live as a person of prayer, what does it do? It will give you a focus point. It keeps you focused on where your help comes from. My help doesn't come from my job. My help doesn't come from my spouse. If you want to have an unhappy marriage, here's, a, here's an easy way to do it. Rely on your spouse too much. They cannot be Jesus to you. No person can ever be everything for another human being. We're not geared that way and we're not built that way. And if you've ever been in that, where either you've been the spouse who was longing for that to be fulfilled in you, or you've been on the other side where you know that your spouse is really leaning upon you, the burden of being Savior we are not meant to carry. We're just not. Now, we can be healthy relationship, but a, a healthy marriage is this, two people that are totally dependent upon God. That's a healthy marriage. You know, but even, you know, in this, what we're talking about, couples who pray together, I believe, are stronger. People who pray, whether you're married or single, people of prayer are stronger. They're steady. There's not a roller coaster ride. It will level out some things. It doesn't mean that situations don't come, but it means I've already have an answer on the inside of me for what has happened, even though I didn't know it was coming. Now, I want to look at a familiar passage, or let me say this way, a familiar story in Scripture about this, about a person that was a person of prayer. Now, this is a very familiar story, but I want to actually read the story because I think there's some details that we miss out. So you can turn with me. Um, Over to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. You know, even as I was praying and even, you know, and this is a familiar verse, but it's over in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7. You know, verse 14, it talks about that if my people who were called by my name would humble themselves. You know, the word humility simply means to bring under. So when I humble myself under God, what am I doing? I'm submitting myself to Him. I'm saying, Lord, I can't fix my problems. I mean, I've got a part to play. You know, I mean, think of it like this, is that God has His part, but I also still have my part to play. 
And I can't be God, and God won't do for me what he's enabled me to do. So it's a cooperation between me and God. And God even says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray. Sometimes I think we talk about prayer a lot more than we actually pray. Talking about prayer and asking people to pray is not where power is made. Power is made in prayer. He goes on and he says that if we would pray that he would hear from heaven and he would heal our land. I believe that we need to very seriously, personally take on the responsibility, not just of praying over our own lives, but even the life of our nation. And really seeing what God wants to have happen in our nation unfold. We're in an interesting time, naturally speaking. But yet I also believe that we're in one of the most exciting times ever as well. Because why? Well, the Bible says in the last days that God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Man, I want to see that. I want to see the power, the presence of God poured out like no one has ever seen. I mean, I know we can talk about revival. They all fell in comparison to what God said he would do in the end. Why? Because he says, I'm going to take everything I've done in the past and I'm going to ball it all up and it will be the former and the latter rain. So everything that we can see that God has done in the past, those are all just foretastes. They're saying, hey, this gives us an idea of what it could look like, not necessarily that what it will, but revival doesn't come without prayer. It's never happened. I mean, I've studied revival. I've never found a time where God moved And revival is regional, by the way. You never see where it's just... But yet, in the last days, it says that what? That God's presence will cover the earth. It will be a global... We've never seen that. I mean, we even identify revivals by regions. The Azusa Street Revival. Why do we call it the Azusa Street Revival? It was on Azusa Street. The Welsh Revival. It happened in Wales. You know, I mean, even here in America, we call it the Great Awakening. It was pretty well contained to this nation, which isn't even, wasn't even as large as it is today. And yet I believe that we can see God do more, even for us as a church, for us to have maximum impact, it's going to require that we become people of prayer. That even like at moments that, you know, that we'll have here uh, coming up, you know, even like with like the marriage conference, that, hey, we ought to be praying about that, not just at a corporate church designated, hey, here we're praying, but even in our own lives, I would challenge you. To add that to your prayer list where you're actually praying, saying, God, I believe and I'm asking you to send us people that are broken. Yeah. Relationships that are right at the break of, of, of splitting up and we want to see your power come alive in their lives during those days. Well, that's not going to happen if we don't start praying for it. Amen. It's not just on Pastor Jimmy to pray for his marriage conference there and say, well, it's going to, ha-, you know. No, we, why? Because we're here. We're hosting it here. This is, think of it this way. This is our territory. God didn't call him here. God didn't place him here. He placed us here. So we have a responsibility for God to pour out in our territory. I mean, you think about it, even in the spirit realm, and it's not in this account, but we'll look at it here in just a few moments. It says that Daniel prayed at one time, and yet uh, when Gabriel came, he said that he was held up by what? A demonic spirit of the territory Persia, right? He says there was an actual demon assigned to a specific area. That there was a spiritual battle that had to happen so Daniel could actually get his answer. So, you know, and so you can think of it this way. Even in prayer, 
Sometimes what happens, and and this is the best way I know how to uh, describe it, is that as we pray, you know, that you will break through that spiritual hindrance. I mean, I've lived in different areas, like largely different areas. There are some areas that I've even been to and visited that I couldn't wait to leave. I was like, man, I'm ready to get home. But yet there are different spirits at work in different areas. But as we pray, we can punch through those barriers that actually becomes a conduit or a place where God's spirit can pour through and can actually overtake and overwhelm the work of the enemy. But that doesn't happen by casual prayer. That happens because people are people of prayer, that are committed to prayer, that they pray first, that they're looking to God, asking for God to pour out His Spirit. And this is exactly what we see with uh, Daniel here. And I want to, you know, as I said, this is a familiar Bible story that many of you know, but maybe not fully. But I wanted to read a large portion of it here. We're just going to read here in chapter 6 of Daniel Starting in verse 1, it says that Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. Now, he had just become um, the ruler of this kingdom. It was, um, <clears throat> it was part of the Babylonian Empire at this point. So the previous guy was killed. He becomes ruler. So he decides to split, up, split it into 120 provinces. It says, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. It says, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's investments. So we get the general idea. What happens is new guy comes into power and he says, hey, I want to have one person over all 120 of these providences, and then I'm going to take three people, and I'm going to put them under me between all these people, and they're going to be my go-between, and they're going to make sure things are happening the way that they need to. And so it says here in verse 3 that Daniel soon proved himself more capable than the other administrators and the high officers because And it says, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans uh, to put him over the entire kingdom. So here we have Daniel as one of the three. He's excelling in his position. And so the king says, hey, maybe I just need to put Daniel as my number two and let these other guys serve under him. Because he's excelling at what he's doing. It says here in verse 4, it says, uh, Then the other administrators and the high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. In other words, they got wind that, hey, promotion's coming to Daniel. Right? Daniel's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Now he's captive. He's not a free man, but he's a captive slave. And yet the Lord is promoting him, which tells you that it doesn't matter what your position may be. If you'll serve God, God can promote you. We see this throughout Scripture multiple times. Joseph, everywhere he went, right? How's the saying go? The cream will rise to the top. You couldn't keep him down. Everywhere he went, he found favor and rose to powers of, of authority and position. And yet the same thing is happening with Daniel. And so all of a sudden some competition gets entered in. It says that they began to look for any fault they could find in Daniel, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or to condemn. I mean, they're, they're looking through everything. They're going through every email. They're looking through his phone. They're going through his house. They're looking through everything. That would be our modern day translations. But the best hackers in the world, they're hiring, saying, go find some dirt. Paparazzi taking the pictures, like just trying to get him caught. And yet they could not find anything to criticize or condemn. It says that he was faithful and always responsible and completely trustworthy. So what do you do with a guy who has no flaws? 
when you need to get him out the way because he's threatening your position. It says in verse 5, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. I don't really like the way that that particular translation says that, but let me say it this way. Is that the only way that they could find a flaw is to find some way to get him to a place that would violate his conscience. And they said, because we know that he won't do that. If we can put him in a place where he has to choose to either compromise or stay with what he's doing, we know he's going to stick with what he's doing. So they devise a plan. We won't read it for the sake of time. But what happens is they decide to go to the king and say, King, you're great. You're wonderful. We think there ought to be a law that if anybody prays to anybody in the next 30 days besides you, they get thrown down there in the pit with all them lions. And the king says, well, that sounds like a good idea. I'm king. I, you know, I'm a good guy. So, yeah, they bring it to him and he signs it. Everybody needs to pray to me. Kind of an ego trip, but whatever. And so these guys are really, and it's just a setup for Daniel. Now we see in, in, here in verse 10, it says this, When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual, as was his custom, as what he normally did in his upstairs room. It says, with its windows open towards Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Now, I believe that, that there's an important principle for us here, is that Daniel did not change just because the culture around him had changed. If prayer has always been the answer for the church of Jesus, prayer is still the only answer for the church of Jesus. When the church prays, God moves. When the church doesn't pray, God does not move. I mean, go study human history. Go study church history. Go look into it. When people pray, God moves. It's just a fact. And yet Daniel here is in direct violation of the law of the land. Now, as Christians... We understand that we are subject to the laws of the land until they violate the law of God. That's one of our freedoms as Americans, at least sort of, sort of, kind of. Yeah, we're supposed to have freedom. We can pray where we want to pray. We can talk about the word of God where we want to talk about the word of God. You know, I was listening to, um, actually it was Greg Fritz was preaching. Many of you know him. And he said, so he made a statement, and I thought it was pretty funny. And he said, everybody else is politically correct, or, or I'll say it this way. He said, we're, as the church, because Christians, we're the only ones who are concerned about political correctness. Nobody else is. They still say whatever they want to say, but yet somehow they've used it as a tool against us. What? To try to silence us. And it doesn't mean that we have to be rude. It doesn't mean that we have to be forceful. But at the same, your freedoms can't impend and step into me not having freedom either. And even in this moment, we see where the culture was shifting, and yet Daniel didn't skip a beat. Like, I know what the law says. I pray. I'm a person of prayer. For me to quit praying would be denying who I am. I pray. I'm going to pray. 
I know what the law says. I know the consequences. I understand what could happen. But this is who I am. It says that when he hears of it, he goes home as his usual. This is my, this is my custom. This is, this is what I do. It's who I am. In verse 11, it says, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking God for help. What was Daniel praying about? For God to help, for God to move, for God to work. Now, there's an interesting thought here. Is why do you think Daniel excelled as an overseer? Let me kind of put it into our modern language. Why did Daniel excel at his job? What made him such a stellar overseer and employee? Was it just that he was naturally gifted? Was it just that he was just smart, beyond smart, like he was just smarter than everybody else? No. It was because he was a person of prayer. And because and he asked, he, say, he says he's praying, asking for God's help. Why? Because he has re- responsibilities that he can't handle. That are bigger than him, that are, that are beyond what he knows and understands. And yet he has an understanding, hey, that if I will look to the Lord and ask the Lord for help, that I can actually go beyond my own natural abilities. I can have wisdom and understanding beyond anything that I can understand. So there's this reliance from Daniel upon the Lord. He's saying, Lord, I need your help. Why? Because if Daniel quits praying, guess what's going to happen? He's probably going to start making some bad decisions. The wisdom that he has shown that the king has now become accustomed and reliant upon, all of a sudden Daniel may not have. Why? Because it wasn't his wisdom that he was operating in to begin with. It was the wisdom of God. So in verse 11 it says, When the officials went to Daniel's house and they found him praying and asking for God's help, So they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days? Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king responded. He says, that decision stands. It's the official law of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be revoked. Once a king signed something, it was law. Even the king himself couldn't overturn it. In verse 13, it goes on, it says, Then they told the king, That man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. They're trying to make it personal. It says, He still prays to his God three times a day. It says, Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. It was a setup. The king didn't realize, didn't know what these guys, what their true colors were, what their intention was. It was self-preservation. And yet here it says, because remember, I mean, yes, Daniel is a, is a servant, but yet obviously the king was very fond of Daniel. This was more, than, let me say it this way, this was more than a business arrangement. There was affection. Because it says that he was deeply distressed or deeply troubled. And he spent the rest of the day trying to figure out a way. Is there a way I can get Daniel out of this? Surely there's a way. I'm the king. If anybody can do anything to help him, it's me. And yes, it it says that he could find no way to get him out. It says in verse 15. In the evening, the, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave the orders to, uh, for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. It says, the king said to, 
to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Now think about that. Here's an unbelieving king looking at Daniel and saying, I don't know your God, but I know you've, you, you, what you're doing, you do very faithfully and you do it seriously. Even he recognized, in a, you can say it this way, Daniel's character. Daniel's commitment to the Lord. Now he may not have understood all the dynamics of that relationship. He obviously didn't know the Lord. Because why? He says, the Lord, may your Lord, may your God rescue you. So it says in verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. So Daniel's thrown in there. The last words from the king are, I hope your God does something for you. I hope he does. It says the king uh, sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. It says that the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. It says he refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep all night. Again, he was really concerned for Daniel. Why? Because he knew what happened to those who went into the lion's den. You were lucky to find a few extra bones the next morning. Yet Daniel, by himself, was thrown in there all night long. Now, I mean, I don't know who the king was fasting to. He obviously didn't know the Lord, so I don't know. It says that he fasted. I'm like, I mean, yeah, I don't know what he's throwing a Hail Mary pass or something. I don't know. He's like, Daniel fast. I guess I'll give it a whirl. I don't know. I don't, I would, that's one of those. Curious questions I have for the Lord one day. I'm like, can you explain this? Like, just, that's the way I read the Bible, people. Things stick out like that. So the king couldn't sleep. In verse 19, it says, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. It says, when he got there, he called out in anguish. He didn't casually just, it's like, first thing in the morning, the king's rushing to get there. He's yelling at Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. All of a sudden, God has a new name. Now, I don't know what happened while the king was awake and while the king was fasting, but the king, I assume, has had some sort of an encounter. Now, I'm not saying that he saved. I'm not saying that he believed in God, but it changed from being Daniel's God to now servant of the living God. Now, remember, the king doesn't know the results. We already know the results, so we read right over these things. For all the king knows, there ain't nothing but a few large kittens in there that are probably sleeping after a good night's meal. He says, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, are you in there? Daniel answers and says, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight. See, it doesn't matter what people say, what people do. What matters is, am I right with the Lord? Am I right in his sight? It doesn't matter if it's a popular opinion. It doesn't matter what others may say. Am I doing what's right according to my father? 
And Daniel here says that I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. It says in verse 23, the king was overjoyed and ordered for Daniel to be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was to be found on him for he had trusted in his God. The king gives orders and says all those who had maliciously accused Daniel, throw them, their families, and everybody else in there with them. He says they were all eaten. Verse 25, it says, Then King Darius sent this message to the, key of, or to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Now think about that. Every person in the known world got news of what had happened in a moment. Here's what he says. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued uh, Daniel from the power of the lions. Verse 28 says, And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The entire world got to hear that there was one God that was true, that was living, and it was the God that Daniel served. Why? Because one man would not back off of, off, not just out of his, um, his routine, but would not back off of his conviction. That he knew what the Lord had called him to do, which was, and it was being a person of prayer. That, hey, this is who I am. It's not just something that I do. And there's a big difference, when, especially as Christians, when we can understand that concept. That what we do as believers is not what we do, it's who we are. I don't just worship. I am a worshiper. There's a big difference. I don't come to church to sing songs. I come to church to worship God. I don't come to be entertained before the message comes. I'm a participant and one who joins in with the worship of the Father. I don't give. I am a giver. I don't pray. I am a prayer. It becomes personal. It's not just optional. And when, when we can begin to, to see and to really understand who we are and who we've been made to be and the power that's made available. I mean, it's one thing to be somebody who gives. It's another thing to truly understand that God has blessed me to be a giver. Why? Wow, your giving takes on new meaning. It's no longer just, well, I'm just obeying the Lord. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. It goes much deeper than that. When I become a worshiper, I'm no longer just singing songs because that's what we do in church. No, I'm worshiping the Father. And I have an understanding. And there's this moment where, and then there's this connection now to worship. That now I'm not just a spectator, I'm now participating and there's a relationship to be had. And that I can actually, as I begin to open my mouth and begin to lift up my voice and I begin to sing what begins to happen in interaction with my father. 
a connection. Spiritual downloads and an infilling of the Spirit of God begin to happen. Why? Because I'm no longer doing something. I've now become something. Well, the same thing happens when we pray. When it becomes different than just, well, this is what I do. And, well, you know, things aren't quite going the way that I want and the way that I think they should. So I'm going to kind of throw up a little prayer real quick. It changes when you become a person of prayer. A person of prayer does not pray five hours a day. A person of prayer continually prays. That means it's five minutes here. It's a few minutes there. I get a problem. I don't know what to do. I pray. Lord, I thank you. The Bible says that Jesus was made wisdom for me. So I thank you in this problem that I've got at work that I don't really know how to fix. I think you're going to give me your wisdom. Being a person of prayer simply means that that's part of my, just as it says about Daniel, that as his custom, as he usually did. That it becomes just normal, a normal part of our life. That when I have problems or I have even circumstances, and even before I have them, I'm praying. Father, I thank you for today. You wake up. Lord, I thank you that today's a great day. I don't know what's coming, but I thank you that I have you on the inside of me. And you're greater than anything I'm going to face today. And I thank you that if problems come, I have wisdom. I thank you that when the problem arises, I already know what's coming. I thank you that I have wisdom before problems even come. People are going to come to my office and be like, before you tell me the problem, the Lord already told me about it. Here's the answer. And they're like, How'd you know that? I just prayed this morning. The Lord began to talk to me while I was driving to work. I mean, it's one thing to have problems. It's another thing to have solutions before the problems even show up. And I can tell you, I've had the Lord do that. And it's awesome when that happens. That's not always the case. But when I prioritize prayer. Now, again, it doesn't mean that, man, I got to go get away for half an hour, an hour, two hours, four hours. No, but I am prioritizing prayer. I'm making it part of the routine of my life. Hey, this is just who I am. And what I'm doing is I'm keeping God first. I will pray first. I've got symptoms in my body. I'm not going to go jump on the internet for it to tell me every symptom that could possibly be because my nose itch today. You might have cancer. Like, I mean, I somewhat joke, but if you've ever done that, like, you know, I hurt here and you go type that in the Internet, you'll get some crazy diagnosis. You think my arm's going to fall off because my ear itched. As opposed to just praying. Lord, what do I need to do? You go see a doctor. They give you, you know, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Do you pray? And ask the Lord, do I need to do that? I'm not anti-doctors. But I am pro-Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us. The Bible says that Jesus is the great physician. He doesn't misdiagnose anything. And the Lord may tell you, hey, you need a second opinion. You don't need to get on that medication. I'm not against, I'm not against medication at all. But do you pray first about it? You ask for the Lord to help you, to give wisdom to the doctors and those assigned of your care. 
I mean, hey, I'm thankful for doctors. I go to them. I got nothing against them. I wouldn't want their job. <laughs> but my confidence and my, my trust is not in them. My confidence is in the Lord. And, 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 and part of how I maintain that is by being constantly and continually in a place of prayer. That, Lord, I, I'm looking to you. See, I believe that many times we want to see the miraculous. We want to see the power of God move in our lives. And I believe there's something on the inside of every believer that wants that. We're just wired that way. Why? Because we serve a phenomenal God who can do anything. We're wired to believe God. And we want to see God move on our behalf. But the problem happens, and many times the the disconnect happens because we're not willing to make a stand. You know, at some point, you've got to draw a line in the sand and say, enough's enough. And sometimes you just got to get to that place. Yeah. Keep backing up, keep backing up, keep backing up, keep backing up until you say, enough's enough. Right? I mean, I think we probably at some time or another, we've all been in those places. I can, you know, remember even growing up, there were those kids who were bullies until one day somebody had enough and stood up. I mean, I remember one specific instance, a friend of mine had had enough and said, after school, let's meet over here. And he beat the snot out of a kid. And he wasn't a fighter, but he had had enough. And all of a sudden, game on. I didn't have a cell phone back then, or I would have recorded it. Put it on the internet for everybody to see. No, but, you know, and the thing is, what we have to remember, even as believers, even in prayer, for us as New Testament, why, is this, it comes out of uh, Corinthians, Paul wrote and says, hey, don't forget, you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You deal deal with spiritual things spiritually. What's your spiritual armor? Go read in Ephesians where it talks about it. it. Talks about the sword of the spirit. Being the word of God. Yeah, we have the shield of faith. We've got, you know, all these other elements. But prayer is using the word of God. If you want your prayers to be effective, pray the word of God. God is bound and committed to his word. So you begin to pray those things out. But what happens is, is that many times we just keep getting pushed and just keep getting pushed and just keep getting pushed. And we think, oh, well, it's this or it's this or it's that. No, it's a spiritual issue first. And at some point, you've got to get tired of getting pushed. I don't mean this in a stranger. But at some point, you just got to say, Lord, I thank you that this is enough. And sometimes your back gets, you know, in a sense, in a, in the best way I know how to say it is that you can get pushed to a point until you're backed into a corner. Where there is no more backing up. You're back as far as you can back. And so what happens is you have two choices. You're either going to stand. And I'll say it this way. You're either going to stand and fight. Or you're going to fold. And the choice is up to you. But in this particular instance that we've been looking at with Daniel. He stood and fought. He didn't throw a punch. He didn't physically do anything. He simply stood his ground. 
And sometimes we're going to have to stand our ground and be serious about prayer. Be serious about what we're doing. That, hey, that I'm not a helpless individual who can't do anything. No, the Bible says that I've been given, you've been given all spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Not only is it blessings, but it's also power and authority. See, nobody has more authority over your life than you do. Now, as your pastor, I have a certain degree of authority, but I don't have more than you do. Now, I believe in the power of agreement and I can hook up my faith with you. That's why many times it, when people call me or, or text or they say, hey, will you be praying? I'm like, what are you believing for? Because <laughs> I, I can hook up with you where you're at. But I can't override even as, as a pastor and as a spiritual authority in your life. I can't override your will. I can come alongside of you. Yes. But what happens is, is that many times people fold when they feel pressure or they have the opportunity to compromise. Many times people do. But yet there's something to be said for just standing your ground. I mean, Ephesians says, having done all to stand, stand. Don't back up. Stand. I mean, many times we want to see God's deliverance, but the problem is we don't realize that to be delivered means you kind of got to go into a pit. It means you got to get thrown into a lion's den. I mean, Daniel didn't look into the pit and be like, Angel, you got all them? Like, that's not the way it went down. He got thrown in there. The door gets closed. It goes pitch black. All of a sudden, an angel appeared. God's deliverance showed up when he needed it. Let me say it this way. He became aware of God's deliverance when he needed it. I believe God's deliverance was there all along. That angel was there the whole walk. Daniel wasn't alone. Why? Because he's a person of prayer. I mean, the Bible says that even angels are nothing more than ministers to the heirs of salvation, which is us. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. Their sole responsibility and job is what? To help us. They're ministers of the goodness and the grace of God in our life. Well, what activates angels? The word of God. Psalms 103 says they hearken to the voice or the word of God. We can activate angels by our prayers. I'm not just throwing words to a ceiling. I'm commanding the the armies of heaven by the word of God. See, all of a sudden, when I begin to understand what's actually happening spiritually, that I'm not just saying words, but now I'm actually uh, taking spiritual authority and taking my rightful place as a son of God. And we can all do this. This isn't reserved for a select few or the people with the gift of prayer, the power in prayer. Those people that just seem to have that direct line to heaven. No, we've all got that. The difference is the belief in the prayer. Maybe some experience that says, hey... You know, I mean, you get around somebody who's been walking with the Lord for a long time and they got 50 years of experience and you got five minutes, then they're going to be a little bit more experienced and a little more confident than you. Why? Because they have experience. Man, God came through, God came through, God came through, God came through, God came through. That's why it's important to have people who are agreeing with you. They may be, have some stories that you don't have. 
They may, say, may have some victories that you've not carved out yet. I said this a minute ago, but many times we want to see the miraculous. We want to see God move. But sometimes we're going to, we will find ourselves and we won't see God's plan until we're in the pit. See, what Daniel and even what the king looked at really as a negative, God says, I'm going to protect Daniel and the whole world's going to hear that I'm alone God. The testimony of what happened spread to the entire world. To the the known world, everybody got to hear the testimony. Daniel was thrown into that den of lions and was delivered. That his God delivered. That Daniel's God is the one who saves his people. I mean, we have those types of testimonies. When we get healed, guess what? Our God is the one who heals. Show me another religion who can say that. Bring me one testimony. That our God heals, our God saves, our God delivers, our God restores. Our God takes the broken and brings it back and makes it whole. You're not going to find that in any other religion. Why? Because they're all dead gods. Our God is alive. And that should give us confidence and faith. And man, even as we're praying that, hey, we have a God, the Bible says that his Ear is not deaf that he cannot hear, and his arm is not short that he cannot reach. When we pray, God listens. When we pray in accordance and along the will of God, our God works and our God moves. As I was praying and studying, a verse just kind of rose up in my heart, and it comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 14. It's a statement that Jonathan makes, and I don't want to go into the story of it, but I love what he says. And he's in a predicament. He needs the Lord to work. And I love here in 1 Samuel 14 verse 6. He makes a statement to his armor bearer. And he says that perhaps the Lord would help us. Our words would be maybe God will help us out. He said for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. I'm going to be sharing about this uh, uh, some on Sunday, but, you know, it doesn't take any more faith to believe God for something really big than it does for something small. So if you're going to believe big, or if you're going to believe, believe big. Why not? Now, I mean, back it up with the Word of God. But if you're going to believe God to pay your bills, why not believe God so you can have enough left over that you can be a blessing? Doesn't take more faith. God, if you can help me pay my bills, and you can help me have some extra. The Bible says that a wise man stores up treasure. Why? Because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. So that means I'm going to have to have some extra, even in my bank account. I mean, you, the Lord, according to your word, I need a savings account. Well, I ain't got a savings account. I ain't got money to put in if I had one. But, Lord, if you'll bless me, I'm going to get a savings account. I'm going to keep some money for a rainy day so that I won't live in chaos anymore. When mayhem comes, I can say, shut up. I got a checkbook. Right? If you're believing God for healing, it doesn't take any more healing to believe God for wholeness versus wellness. If you're going to believe for God to heal you, just believe God for wholeness. That means better than before. Better than it's ever been. It doesn't take any more faith. If you're going to believe, believe. If I'm going to get an answer, I want a big one. You know. 
I mean, if you're going to, you know, believe God for a home, believe God for bigger than what you need. Not saying a mansion. You don't need 38 bedrooms for two of you. (laughs) But at the same time, it shouldn't be just enough to get by either. Well, we can make this work. We don't serve a make this work kind of God. We can make it by. That's not who we serve. Jesus didn't buy so we could almost get to heaven. Like, you know what I'm saying? No, he died for what? For us to have the fullness of who God is in our life. So any area of lack, any area that we um, may be missing or, or, or lacking in, that our God is more than enough. There's a phrase that I've heard many times and, you know, and, I, and it, it, let me say it, preface it with this, as some people would ask, and maybe you even have this thought of, well, at what point do you stop praying? At what point do you give up and just say, well, I guess that's just not going to happen. I can't say for everybody, but I'll just tell you in my own life. I'll pray as long as I'm breathing. Because as long as there's breath in my lungs, there's hope. And if I quit breathing... I won't care about what I'm praying about because I will be in the presence of God. So either way, I'm going to win. Right? But there's this phrase, and I've heard people say this, is that stick and stay, it'll always pay. You ever heard that phrase? Stick and stay, it always pays. Stick with what the Lord's teaching you. Stick with what the Word says. Don't back off of it. God always follows through. God always does what he says. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3, I'm going to read these out of the Amplified Bible, if my iPad will cooperate. It's going a little slow at the moment. Time for a new one, I guess. Not really. Probably needs to be restarted. All right, here we go. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3. It says, The Lord will not allow the uncompromisingly righteous to famine or to famish, but he thwarts the desires of the wicked. Verse 6 says this blessings are upon the head of the uncompromisingly righteous, the upright and in right standing with God, and the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. See, the Bible says that we're to be uncompromisingly righteous. The Amplified Bible adds that uncompromisingly. We don't back off of it. We don't flinch away from it. No, we know what we're to do. We know how we're to live. We know how we're to believe. And I'm not backing off of it. And I have power through prayer. I have a direct line to heaven that, man, that doesn't matter what I face, my God is greater than. Greater than what? Anything I face. You name it, he's bigger. And that's where our faith has to be. And when we live in that place of being people of prayer, not just people who occasionally pray, but really living a lifestyle of prayer, that it would dramatically change how, we, uh, how and what we experience of God. I believe that, you know, and as a, you know, even as we're getting ready to kind of embark on this next little uh, 21 days, if you really want... and. and And there's a lot more to this than I really have time to get into. But if you really want to see all that God has for you this year, prioritize being a person of prayer. 
What's your first response? Is it to pray first? Is it to worry first? Is it to start getting unnerved? What's your, where do you go to first? The psalmist wrote and says, I look unto the mountains. I look up. Why? Because that's where the temple was. He said, my help comes from there. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't come from anybody around. My help comes from the Lord. See, when we, we have a heart that's focused like that, we're going to see God do more. And here's the thing that I've learned about prayer. The more that I pray, the better I get at it. Yeah. The easier it is for Because, you know, there, if, you know, and not so much, haven't really experienced this in a long time, but, uh, you know, there would be times where I would back away or back off my prayers, and it would be hard to kind of get it going again. Well, I've just found if I'll just keep praying, it's easier to pray. It doesn't take me 10 minutes to get where I need to be to start praying. If I just have the habit of prayer and keep it as a continual part of my life, I don't have to pray as long. I mean, I love the quote from Smith Wigglesworth. He said, I never prayed more than five minutes, but I never went more than five minutes without praying. I ain't there. I'm not even close. Because people always thought he prayed for so long. He just said, no, I just stay in continual fellowship with the Lord. That's the secret to my life, if if you want to call it that. The secret of the power of God in his life was, hey, I'm just listening for him to talk. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. And there was power. But he was a person of prayer. See, people of prayer do things that they can't naturally do. I mean, there's no way. People look at you and be like, how in the world? Daniel didn't have a reason why he was the, about to be promoted to be the second in command. Other than that he was a person of prayer. That God had promoted him. And even when trials came, I believe it. I don't think Daniel fretted one bit walking to that lion's den. I think Daniel's probably saying in his heart, I serve the living God and he will protect me. Father, I thank you that you watch over me, that you'll protect me. I don't think he was nervous. I don't think he was scared. Why? He was in prayer. Mayhem came and, hey, this ain't no big deal. I don't believe he got rattled at all, and I don't believe we should. We don't have to be. It doesn't mean that we don't get rattled. Everybody gets rattled from time to time. But we don't have to stay in that place. Why? Because we have a God who hears our prayers. And when we will focus upon the promises of God in the Word, and we will simply begin to pray them and to begin to talk to the Father, not only will He answer, but I believe we'll hear Him speak to us. He'll give us wisdom, and there will be a peace that passes all understanding in our hearts because we know where our hope, we know where our trust is. And when we live in that place.